Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. A family recipe can be many things. A closely guarded secret, a happy memory, a connection to a culture, a lost way of doing things. The foods that we make and share among our closest people help to define who we are, whether those foods are corn fritters, sesame noodles, or enchiladas. And because those foods help create our families, they imply a whole genealogy of cooking. For our latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, we've got the sisters behind the beloved blog, The Walks of Life, to talk with us about capturing those family recipes, whether they're stored in a box or on a cute little note card, or just in grandma's heart and fingertips. Can't wait to hear all your family secrets after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Food was life raft that connected our families to where we came from, writes Judy Lung in the new cookbook, The Walks of Life. Her daughters, Sarah and Caitlin, grew up loving their parents' Chinese cooking. But when they moved out of the house, they realized that they had no idea how to cook their family favorites. So along with their parents, Sarah and Caitlin Lung started a blog that would become a beloved ode to Chinese and Chinese-American cooking, in the process capturing a piece of their family and diasporic culture that might have been lost. And they join us this morning for the latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai. Welcome, Sarah and Caitlin. Hi, Alexis. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining for us. Having us. And of course, welcome, Luke Sai. Thanks for uh, coming on again. It's always a pleasure, Alexis. Um, so let's start with you, Sarah. This all started as a blog, The Walks of Life, that is. Can you tell us about the genesis and which anyone who hasn't figured this out, this is W-O-K-S if you're furiously Googling out there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, you kind of gave like a little bit of backstory there, like the blog's origin story. But really what I mean, what it really was, was uh, my parents got transferred over to China on a temporary work assignment when my sister and I were both in college. So I was a senior. My sister was a freshman. And that year, we we really realized that while we loved cooking, we really had taken a lot of those recipes that my parents had cooked for us growing up for granted. Um, And we didn't know how to make them. And uh, there were a lot of uh, sort of family Skype sessions where we were trying to (laughs) wring recipes out of our parents. Um, But it was difficult, right? Because communicating um, how to cook a recipe uh, verbally, especially when your parents are very into that sort of cook by feel approach, um, can be challenging. And so we started the blog as a way to definitively record those recipes for ourselves. Um, and over the years, uh, the blog grew and we found, uh, other people had a demand for those recipes as well. Um, and yeah, we've been, we've been blogging since 2013. So, uh, coming up on 10 years, which is pretty crazy. 
And, you know, now it has become really like a, an amazing resource for all kinds of things. I mean, the cookbook is also amazing. I cook out of it all the time and love it. Um, so, Caitlin, I wonder, though, did you consider yourself better than the average cook before you started the blog? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. And I'm going to go ahead and give us the point and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you knew what you were doing a little bit in the kitchen. Right. So the funny thing was, is that while we had no idea how to cook the food that we grew up with, we definitely were like big, big fans of food TV. So we did a lot of like experimental cooking in the kitchen just with virtually nothing Chinese. Like it was like we would cook a few things, but it was like the simplest stuff ever. Like we knew how to make rice. Like we didn't bring shame on our family. We knew how to make rice. (laughs) Um, We knew how to make like you know, cold noodles, like after school snack type type stuff. But that was about it. And then the rest of the time it was like baking and, you know, making pasta and like roast chicken and figuring out how to, you know, cut a chicken, like, you know, things that were more in the domain of like, um, kind of like the, the classical era of food TV and like food <laughs> network, where it was more of like the actual cooking tutorials. So we we had a good foundation. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sarah, your one reason you didn't have to cook that much is you had some pretty amazing cooks in the family, um, including your dad, who had really worked as you know a, a chef in a restaurant. You cu- ended up calling the blog a culinary genealogy. So just lay that genealogy out. What kind of cooks did you have in the family? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So on my dad's side of the family, my dad grew up um, in the Catskills in upstate New York, and his father, his stepfather, and his grandfather were all restaurant chefs. And um, they were cooking um, very sort of what we would now call retro Chinese-American classics um, up in the Catskills, mostly for Jewish clientele. Um, The area was known as the Uh Borscht Belt. Um, It was, yes, so it was like... um, resorts where families would gather and enjoy, uh, you know, summer, summer weather and, um, activities. And so my, uh, grandparents, um, they worked in those restaurants and hotels and, uh, my dad kind of grew up, uh, around that and, uh, eventually got a job in his stepfather's kitchen, uh, helping out. And, uh, my grandparents eventually opened their own restaurant in New Jersey, and my dad, uh, and actually both of my parents helped out at that restaurant. Um, and then on my mom's side, she actually grew up in Shanghai. Um, she was born in China and came to the U.S. at 16. So uh, most of her formative years uh, were spent in China. Uh-huh. And her, uh, you know, she grew up in a very different food environment um, where, you know, scarcity was sort of uh, a constant and um, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't necessarily exposed. She wasn't making to... a huge pile of like orange chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and she kind of brings uh, more of this sense of tradition uh, to the blog. And I mean, my dad as well, you know, his, his parents uh, were very accomplished Cantonese home cooks uh, as well. Um, so my mom brings this sort of traditional Shanghainese cuisine to the table. My dad brings uh, traditional Cantonese food as well as that Chinese American, all those Chinese American takeout favorites. Uh, and then uh, my sister and I kind of um, basically started as their students, right? We started 
basically from a position of just wanting to learn and to absorb uh, what they had to teach us. Um, and then eventually, uh, you know, we we all traveled uh, in China, lived in I lived in China for a while. And so we got to explore lots of different regional Chinese cuisines um, and uh, really expand our own repertoire that way. That's so cool. On this episode of our forum series, All You Can Eat with KQED food editor Luke Tsai, we're talking about family recipes, those culinary treasures that say in one bite, hey, you're home. We're joined by Caitlin and Sarah Lung, the sisters behind the beloved blog, The Walks of Life, which is now a cookbook with the same name. Could not recommend it more, even if you're an amateur walk cook as I am. Uh, and of course, we're joined by Luke Tsai, our food editor here at the station. We'd love to hear from you on this show What's a family recipe you treasure that you wish you had written down? That's the first call. What's a family recipe that you really treasure that you wish you had written down? You can give us the call. It's 866-733-6786. Maybe you have succeeded in getting this family recipe written down. We'd love to hear that memory. The number is 866-733-6786. You can email questions, comments to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Luke, um, I encountered the Lung's work making recipes from their cookbook, which is fairly new, but you're an OG fan of the blog. So how did you discover it? And what is what does the Lung's work mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think just listening to uh, Sarah and Caitlin talk, um, their story resonates so much with my own experience um, as a second generation immigrant uh, growing up in this country. Uh, my mom uh, was accomplished Chinese cook. You know, she cooked Chinese food for us every day was was sort of known in my group of friends as like the best <laughs> Chinese cook um, in our local community. Um, but when I started cooking, I was I was just like them, you know, it was sort of like the heyday of uh, the early food network, you know, so so it was a lot of Jamie Oliver and Emerald and Barefoot Contessa. And it was like, <laughs> you know, I was part of this generation like them um, that largely learned how to cook from recipes. Right. Um, and and specifically from recipes that I found on the Internet or came across um, through these sort of television um, celebrity chefs. And back then, there just wasn't a lot of diversity in terms of the cuisines um, that were represented. Like it was all very Eurocentric. Um, you know, so so I learned how to make pasta and I learned how to make risotto. Um, I learned how to make shrimp and grits, like pretty much everything except for the food that I'd actually grown up <laughs> eating. Um, and I think for me, um, you know, thinking about intergenerational, um, you know, sort of passing on of these traditions. For me, I think the real turning point was when I had kids of my own, you know, and they started to get a little bit older. I have two daughters um, and I started to realize like my kids are going to grow up if I, if I don't sort of learn how to make this food, they're going to grow up not having any idea what it means to sit down at a table, have this sort of traditional family style meal where, you know, I cook a pot of rice. Um, I have a couple of stir fried dishes, um, just like this sort of everyday home food um, that I grew up with. And, and and that made me so sad, you know, because I think, um, I don't know what your experience is, Alexis, you know, sort of like your connection to to Mexican food and Mexican culture. But like, I feel like for me, so much has already been mm -hmm. lost, you know, so, so much I already know I can't pass on, you know, like yeah. the, the language and all this stuff. Um, that that was the one thing I really wanted to pass on. So 
Um, around that time, you know, for me, like the first thing that I encountered was actually the cookbooks of Fuchsia Dunlop, um, who's this mm. uh, actually a, a white woman in the UK, <laughs> you know, but spent a that lot That was like of Diana time... Kennedy for me <laughs> in the Mexican yeah, cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she lived in China for years and she had a cookbook that was what I was looking for, which was just quick, everyday home food that you could make. Um, and so I just cooked through that cookbook. And then a couple of years later, I came across walks of life um and a couple of other blogs um in that ilk you know it was like the early 2010s you had the walks of life um for chinese food you had mangchi for korean food you had just one cookbook uh for japanese food they all sort of these um sort of groundbreaking blogs all sort of debuted around the same time and they were all sort of pinpointed exactly to my audience, like my demographic, which was like people who maybe grew up in the U.S., Asian-Americans um, who were looking to reconnect to the food of their heritage. Mm. Right. Um, but who spoke the language of people who grew up on food TV and who grew up on food blogs and could make those recipes really accessible um so that i felt like i could do it because you know talking to my mom as great a cook as she is she doesn't have recipes written down or if she does they're just like index cards that just have lists of ingredients and like <laughs> no no instructions you know so i just really needed to my hand held you yeah, know yeah and and uh blogs like the walks of life um really were a game changer for me that's so great. Um, throughout the show, we're going to be listening to cuts from the Lungs Spotify playlist that they created to accompany their cookbook. So first up is Come Around by Bernhoff, featured in Sarah Lung's Spotify playlist. We're talking family recipes. It's all you can eat with Luke Sai, And we're joined this morning by Caitlin and Sarah Lung, the sisters behind the beloved blog, The Walks of Life. We'll be back with calls, comments, and more after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are here for another edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Sai, and we're joined by Caitlin and Sarah Lung, who are behind the amazing blog and now cookbook, The Walks of Life. We're listening to their cooking songs um, as we come in and out of uh, our breaks today. I have to say, this is an incredibly eclectic mix, <laughs> Sarah and Caitlin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was kind of why it was a fun exercise for us, because we all have very different musical tastes, but then you can kind of see, like, on each playlist, there's there's some influence from different family members, and you can 
kind of connect the dots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I was loving it. I was like, wow, Neverita by Bad Bunny after the song <laughs> that we were going into the break. There's got to be some fights over the Sonos. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, me and Sarah have very different tastes in music. <laughs> um, let's bring in um, a a caller, uh, Nirali in Santa Clara. Welcome. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thank you guys for having this uh, this topic. I I really keep hearing the same theme of kind of Asian Americans who we don't know how to cook uh, the same recipes that we grew up with from our parents because nothing is ever written down. Um, and I like I'm the type of person who when I go to you know make something I go to Safeway with a list of ingredients, knowing like with like with a recipe in my hand of what I'm going to get. Whereas my mom can just open the fridge and there could be a random assortment of items in there and she can make something incredible out of it and nothing is ever written down. And I noticed that like a lot of my more like my Caucasian friends, they have little generational cookbooks or index cards from that have been passed down from generation to generation of these like recipes. And I realize now that like, I'm really going to suffer if I don't learn (laughs) how to cook from my mom and, you know, that's going to require being in the same room with her for over 10 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I really think it's a cultural thing as well. And she's such an amazing cook. And um, this whole thing about a blog with like Asian American recipes is, I mean, it's incredible. Nirali, give us one dish that says to you like, okay, this is, this is mom's specialty or this is one of mom's specialties and I want to learn how to make this. So it's something called pao baji, and it basically means um, it's like almost like a sloppy joe type of texture, and pao means bread, and baji kind of means just like a curry type of situation. Um, and it used to be like a street food. It was basically a mix of anything that they would have at the end of the day. Um, but my mom, she, I've had pao baji everywhere, and my mom's is by far the best. I think it's because she uses uh, an immense amount of butter. Um, turns out that works yeah yeah, turns out butter is a special ingredient but she's just just, incredible cook and i don't know how she does it she just makes these concoctions and sometimes um you know i watch her i'm so privileged to get her food and it's like where does this come from your brain i don't understand um she's like you just feel it you just do it you know you just know and i'm like i don't just know (laughs) so um yeah i love it yeah yeah, it's amazing um also that is that spelled p-a-v-b-h-a-j-i got it p-a-u p-a-u got it got it that is um pow baji that sounds um delicious and I, I hope you learn how to cook it. That sounds awesome. Um, thank you um, so much, Nirali, for that. I um, I wanted to ask the lungs, and maybe Caitlin will, will toss this one to you. You know, you talk in the book about being ABCs, American-born Chinese. So when you think about Chinese food, do you see sort of clear dividing lines between the ABC version of the dish and the Chinese version? Or do you see more like kind of continuity in gray area? That's a great question. I think it honestly depends on what dish you're talking about. I think some dishes you can definitely see like the through line, so to speak, of of how like a dish that was, you know, originally 
years and years ago, only made in China was translated for sort of the shores of America. Um, and then there are some that were very much born out of necessity based on what could be found here. Um, where <laughs> like, I don't know, like it, I was just contemplating the other day, like a dish, like lemon chicken, where it's like little fried pieces of chicken, you dip it into this sauce, or maybe it's tossed in the sauce. I was like, mm -hmm. where did that come from? You know, I was like, I guess they had, you know, citrus fruit on the West Coast, and maybe like the original like Chinese immigrants to California kind of devised this dish. And so dishes like that, it's kind of like, oh, wow, like that's like real ingenuity. But I think the thing that we always keep in mind with um, Chinese American food and, and how that relates to quote unquote, you know, the original or traditional, mm -hmm. um, Chinese food is that it's just a, it's a new branch on the tree. And I think that, um, it's definitely, it, it's worth considering and talking about and eating because I think there's a lot of people out there who grew up loving it and I think that as long as we can all sort of account for all of the the full spectrum of what Chinese food can be like that's really our ultimate goal uh with the blog is to kind of not rule out any one thing and you know wink wink all walks of life can sort of <laughs> <laughs> you know be represented in the yeah. story of Chinese food yeah I love that. Um, listeners are writing in. Uh, one says, I wish I had my grandmother's recipe for Korean pancakes called Pinde Duck. They were so crispy and light. They can be greasy, but my grandmas were perfect, just like she was. Everything she made was infused with her love and her incredible cooking skills. Mary tweets, I wish I had my Scottish grandma's shortbread recipe. Almost everyone in my family has tried to recreate it, but no one's gotten it quite right. And another listener, this is a cold story here. When my dad remarried after my mom's death, he threw away all of my mom's and grandma's family recipes. And it's a loss I often feel, especially Oof. on holidays. Oh, man. That's a no. tough one. I'm so sorry about that. Um, we would love to hear from you. What's a family recipe you treasure that you wish you had written down? Um, you know, these are the kind of things where maybe grandma or mom or dad or grandpa knew how to make something and you wish you had that written on a piece of paper or in a note on your phone. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786 or maybe just share a cherished family recipe with us. The number is 866-733-6786. Email questions, comments to forum at kqed.org or, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are KQED Forum. Um, Luke, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the intergenerational restaurant. Like these restaurants where, you know, there are multiple generations either running the restaurant together or it's been passed down. What's kind of special about that sort of place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, so often that's like the premise of a restaurant, right? Like I think so, so often it's like a person opens a restaurant um, and you talk to them and, and they're like, well, the reason I opened this restaurant is because I wanted to, um, you know, my mom is such an amazing cook. My grandma is so amazing. <laughs> you know, I wanted to open this restaurant so people could sort of share that experience. Um, and I think there are so many restaurants like that in the Bay Area. You know, I think of 
just off the top of my head, like an example that comes to mind is this, this place I love called Bart Grocery, um, which is this charming little Korean deli uh, slash Korean barbecue takeout spot um, near the Daly City um, BART station. Um, and it was opened by this younger uh, Korean-American guy. Um, and again, it was like, this when I talked to him, the specific goal was like, this was his mom's food. Um, sh- she was helping out at the restaurant um, to do the cooking. Um, this was the food that he had grown up eating. Um, it was home-style food as opposed to like restaurant-style food. Um, and it was a type of food that he talked about um, like he was just afraid that it was going to be lost. This um, is Luke Sybate right here. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, and I, and I think, um, yeah, I think that's a function that restaurants can serve, you know, especially during a time when a lot of people don't cook as much, you know, um, people aren't necessarily learning to cook from the elders in their own families all the time now. Um, and I can think of so many times when I've gone to a restaurant, and experienced like a traditional home dish for the first time. And that has actually inspired me to learn how to cook it, you know, not just for Chinese or Taiwanese dishes, you know, for my own culture. But like I think about, for instance, Japanese curry is one of those Mm. dishes where like every Japanese kid grows up eating it as the ultimate home food, right? Like that's the home comfort food. That's every school kid's like favorite dish. But like, I never encountered it as a as a kid growing up. I encountered it in restaurants and then now it's something that I I literally make like all the time, like almost weekly I make it. Um and so there's a way that restaurants can sort of inspire people and help people to make those connections as well, I think. I love that. Let's bring on an intergenerational restaurant owner. We've got Arena Maldonado, who is the owner of Las Carreras Kitchen, located in Swan's Market in Oakland. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think connected to Luke, I think like a lot of our recipes are like that. Um, My mom, my dad, and my sisters and I uh, have the restaurant here in in downtown Oakland. Uh, We specialize in food from Guerrero, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our dishes are dishes that we grew up loving as children. Um, my mother was a street vendor for 16 years in the Mission District outside of a bus stop. Wow. And she was selling um, Mexican corn husk tamales. And so a lot of her clients were um, liberal workers. A lot of them were uh, families would um the other way to work, and I would pick up at the mall for my mom. And then that's when she realized that a lot of these um, people miss their home-style um, home cook, cooking from home. And so that's how her clientele um, grew. And I think for 15 years, you know, it just kept growing uh, along with community organizations that also felt like this was mom's or, or grandmother's cooking. And we got so blessed Um that these recipes migrated with us and these are my um, grandmother's recipes, my great-grandmother's recipes as well. And for my 21st birthday, she actually gave me, uh, she gifted me a a book with all of our um, handwritten uh, recipes. And I can say that I have cooked out of there twice. (laughs) (laughs) Only twice? No. Yes, but, you know, I'm also working with her on a daily on a daily basis and so I get to see how she cooks um, how she cooks um, at the restaurant and so whenever we get stuck 
on bringing out specials or, um, you know, some dishes. We think about what are some of our, our favorite recipes that we grew up in. It could be anything from relleno, which is a, a pork leg stuffed with vegetables, and it's um, slow cooked for over five hours. And it's it, there's this weekend we're going to be making torrejas, which is like the Mexican version, um, our Mexican version of French toast, which is like mm. a dessert for us. So we're so we're so blessed have my mother who um, is so passionate about sharing these recipes but definitely there's no measuring I think just like so many other stories here there's no measuring so you just got to trust yourself and have confidence and in these ingredients you know what I really want I want like one hour long YouTube video of your grandma or your mom like making tamales so that I can really get my technique down you know um, I we didn't we yes. didn't grow up making those um, but I've been trying to and I feel like I need some work <laughs> I need some I need like to just watch a grandma do it for a long time um, um, Reina, thank you so much for joining us. Um, your restaurant, La Lagareras Kitchen, located in Swan's Market in Oakland, which people know it's in what is called Old Oakland. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, let's get another call uh, onto the show. Let's get a uh, Tony in Angwin. That's right. <laughs> Um, excuse me, uh, cough drop. So my grandmother came to Italy, uh, came from Italy in 1952, my little town in uh, Vicenza, Italy. And once she did, um, she would make homemade biscotti cookies. And when she died in 1992, um, we thought that recipe was long gone. Turns out that my mom had it written, my mom passed away in, in 86, but my mom had that recipe written down. And I recently just acquired my mom's old recipe book, um, a little box of recipes. And I was thumbing through that. And inside this box was my Nona's recipe for um, biscotti cookies. Oh, man. We all thought was long gone. Yeah, so, okay, have you tried it, though? Have you tried it? Does it work, Tony? Uh, haven't tried it yet. My daughter, uh, <laughs> Lucia, and I are going to one day, when we have a, a cold weather like right now, are going to make these cookies. We have a plan. Just got to get time. That's all that's all that's needed. Time. Never enough time, right? Yeah, yeah. Tony, today is the day or this weekend. It's going to the weather's going to get bad for a long time again after this. So, this is this is your task from the forum uh audiences to go um go uh make these cookies. I love that. Thank you so much for that uh for that call, Tony. Um Long Sisters, I wanted to ask you about any kind of like special ingredients. Like for me, um, there is trying to find wheat lacoche, which is like a, a corn fungus used in, in Mexican cooking. Um, in my wife's family, it's like this, the solo almond filling. That's the brand solo almond filling. It's like very difficult to find, but it's like very necessary for this almond cake that the family loves. Are there things for either of you where you feel like this ingredient is really hard to find, but it's worth going that extra mile to, to get it? Um, I would say so actually it's kind of surprising like the the number of recipes that you can make with um, pretty basic ingredients as long as you can access them from uh, either a Chinese grocery store or uh, now there are a bunch of online uh, Chinese grocers. Um, things like oyster sauce, light soy sauce, dark, dark soy sauce. Right, right. Um, you can actually 
in various combinations, make lots of different dishes with just those basic things. Um, in terms of a specialty ingredient that's hard to find, um, I would say one of the hardest to find ones is probably fresh rice noodles. <laughs> um, uh, yes, totally. I, I think, yeah, like if you want to make like sort of like a beef chow fun or even like if you're like going into a Thai direction, like making like a drunken noodle or a pad CU, Finding those noodles fresh is uh, extremely rare. Um, I, I think because, you know, they're not shelf stable for very long. Um, if you package when they're packaged, they can tend to stick together a little bit and become a little bit difficult to work with, um, which is why they have to kind of sell very quickly. Um, but they are if you can find them, um, they are really, really worth it. Um, that said, you know, in a pinch, you could always use dried noodles. Yeah. I mean, Luke, around here, Ranch 99 is the place for that, right? Or what would you say? Um, yeah. And I, and I think a lot of the smaller markets, um, like the Vietnamese markets or, or Chinese markets, will have it too. Um, in Oakland, Chinatown, Yuen Hop um, is, just a, is just a treasure um, for all different kinds of fresh noodles, whether you're talking egg noodles. I think they do carry um, fresh rice noodles. Um, wonton wrappers um, yep. and everything is so 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 good um so that's that would be my first stop if i were looking to to um you know uh, make yeah. chow fun or, or or make dumplings or anything like that we are again listening to uh cooking songs from the lung family this is salt water by geo wolf featured in sarah lung's playlist we're talking about family recipes the latest edition of our series, All You Can Eat with KQED's food editor, Luke Sai. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about family recipes, and we're joined by the creators of the Walks of Life, a blog and cookbook, The Lung Family, and we're listening to some of their the cuts from their Spotify cooking playlist. This is Electric Relaxation by A Tribe Called Quest, featured in Caitlin Lung's Spotify playlist. 
Um, we have so many good calls and comments coming in. Uh, I think I'm going to take us straight to the phones. Let's bring in uh, Elena in San Rafael. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, sure can. Tell, yeah, you yeah, can tell so us your story. I'm, Sorry about that. Yeah. I'll tell you my story. Yeah. So my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor, and she um, escaped um, Nazi um, Poland, and she brought over a recipe um, where she would grind her own meat and make her own pastry to make these little dumplings called kreplas. And I can tell you just, you know, as a five-year-old watching her grind meat, it was a little tra- traumatizing, <laughs> but... Um, the actual like taste of those dumplings just melted in your mouth, and I've really never had anything taste that good since. Oh man, where would we go for a good crepla recipe, Luke? Do you have any ideas? I I don't. You've 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 stumped me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure, either. Although, um, yeah, Elena, maybe I will I will go through our cookbooks. We have several uh, Jewish cookbooks at our house. I'll see if I can find something, and I'll uh, I'll post them. Ooh, for you. great! Yeah, the closest. The closest I've found is just recently there's a restaurant up in uh, Santa Rosa, and it does Jewish, like, home-style cooking. And it was amazing in downtown Santa Rosa. I don't remember the name of it, but that was uh, as close as it came. I love it. Elena, thank you so much for, uh, for that call. Um, everyone, we also have an amazing comment from Marlon. Uh, Marlon writes in to say, I'm from Mexico, and my great-grandmother was Jewish from Russia and lived to 98. I was lucky enough to write down many of her recipes, but they never taste the same. Her cooking with love in a tiny kitchen in Condesa seemed to be the missing uh, ingredient. I love that. Uh, neighborhood Mexico City, for people who don't know it. Um, let's uh, go to uh, Ramon in Vallejo. Welcome. Hey, Ramon. Can you hear me? Oh, hey. Hi. Sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah, tell well, us your story. I'm the uh, lucky nephew of, uh, I called him my uncle father. I spent much more time with him than my uh, deadbeat dad. He was a chef of some renown. He came home with stories about cooking for Pavrati, <clears throat> sloppy eater, by the way, and uh, Barishnikov, <laughs> who wiped out a, an entire duck while chain smoking. Wonderful stories. At any rate, near the end of his uh, life, he knew he was going to go, and he started uh just playing around in the kitchen. He grew his own garden as part of his therapy. And I thought I might get a chance to cook for him. But he paced himself over the course of three days while he was going through chemotherapy and made a 24-course meal. And many of those dishes were uh, inventions on the spot. But the one that I wanted to uh, really remember, it's been 20 years now, he, uh, he thought on his bucket list, he wanted to go to New York and study at one of the great cooking schools. And he came back, and on that day, he made a sourdough cornbread with little bits of corn and cheese and bacon. And it was mind-blowing. I mean, I still think about it. I've tried to recreate it. No chance. I love it. 20 years later, you're remembering um, this thing. The things that food memories um, can do to us. Thank you so much, Ramon. I, um, 
uh, Caitlin and Sarah, one of the things that uh, a listener sent to me before the show was a that apparently the San Francisco Chronicle in the early 2000s used to have a rent a grandma like matchmaking service where people would like if you basically ha- didn't grow up with your grandma of a particular culture they would sort of match somebody up so they could teach you uh things i feel like basically you guys figured out how to kind of scale that no that's oh my gosh first of all that's incredible <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, that's the, that's the great thing about the sort of multi-generational, multi-generational aspect of our blog. And it's, um, you know, people ask us like, oh, like, did you ever think that you would be, or what is it like blogging with your parents? And, um, my response is kind of like, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have a blog without my parents because, uh, it really started out with them sort of passing those recipes to us and teaching us. And eventually we um, became proficient recipe developers on our own. Um, but it wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't have happened without without their teaching and without uh, my grandparents teaching them. Um, and my dad's, my dad's parents actually passed away when we were quite young. Uh, I was in uh, elementary school at the time. But, you know, we, we always think like, man, if they were still alive, like the recipes that our recipes would be just like, even more next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to rent a grandma sounds, <laughs> I, I mean, just so cool. Um, and, uh, and because then I would know that those recipes were getting written down somewhere, you know? Yeah, if, if right. That's else. Good, right. Um, also, uh, call back to earlier listener Elena in Santa Rosa. Um, Matt called in to say that the Jewish restaurant that has the dumplings in Santa Rosa is Grossman's Noshery. So um, for... For your information, um, let's bring another caller in. We've got uh, Madison in Albany. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me on the call. This is a great session. I really appreciate it. Um, I just want to share that my um, my dad passed away last year, and um, he was a cook, and he wasn't a cook. Um, you know, he didn't start out to be a cook, but when he came to this country many years ago, that was a job that he picked up, and he became this incredible chef. And so one of his recipes that I was able to have him write down right before he passed away, you know, just several days before he passed away, is his um, wonderful pot sticker recipe. And so he wrote it down being, you know, in a very sick state, but was able to just really um, write down the restaurant quantities, but then convert it to home-style um, quantities. And the next day, our entire family of like 30 or 40 people all came together and made pot stickers. And uh, he was able to be a part of that. And um, and so it was just really a beautiful moment that he uh, was able to have that um, written down for us. And so I cherish that recipe. And we come together every time we make it together as a family. So, Oh, man. Madison, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I mean, I think... What a way to be able to come together around somebody's legacy, you know? Did you do you actually have the thing that he wrote it down on? Did he write it in his own hand? I or? do. I oh. do. I mean, you know, the, the incredible part that for me was that you know he was, you know, very ill, and yet he was able to really just just take the day and have it all on video too. He record. He wrote out all of the recipe information in Chinese, and then um, and then he like was converting all the quantities into home scale. Um, and uh, for him to do that at that state of where he was was just incredible. So, yeah, I definitely have that, um, um, you know, put away. 
Oh, I love that. Madison, thank you so much for sharing that. Be thinking about that one for a while. Thank you for calling in. Um, We have a question for the lungs uh, from Lisa, who says, Your recipes are frequently referenced on a Facebook group I belong to that tries to recapture the food of our childhood, which is specifically those from the Pearl River Delta. I'm glad I learned how to make at least one dish from my father, who was a good home cook. It uses preserved salted fish, literally called that in Toysanese, home yu, and is mixed in with ground pork, water chestnuts, and other ingredients. Since most Chinese immigration came from the same region at a point in time, do you think your father's food is Toysanese in influence? Are there dishes from there that you like? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think... uh... You know, the Pearl River Delta region, um, I, I my my dad's family is uh, Hong Kong and Hakka. Um, so we definitely I mean, we love Cantonese food and they they grew up and, you know, my grandparents had uh, many friends from the region as well um, or in the, their small community um, up in the Catskills. So I think that there were a lot of dishes that were passed down, um, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe my grandparents didn't necessarily like grow up with but were passed from friends as well um i i think um yeah it's it's awesome to hear that we're coming up in that facebook group um and i think it's really interesting to see from our readers um you know when we post recipes even uh, these very traditional recipes to hear the various, uh, like the variations, um, Uh like, Oh my, you know, my mom used to put this ingredient in there. Like instead of water chestnuts, we used jicama or, you know, like little things like that, that I think just like enrich, uh, enrich the history of that recipe for everyone. I love it. Yeah. Um, And I'll just, I'll just say that, that the pork dish that she's describing is like one of our family's favorites. Like uh it's so good. And like, that salted fish is just next level and like with the pork and the little crunch from the water chestnut. So yeah, definitely. Is it in the, is it in your book or I have to get on the site? There's a version of like a steamed pork patty in the book, but it doesn't have the salted fish, but the salted fish version is on the blog. Got it. Perfect. Um, And, and that's, I, I, and I wanted to jump in and say like, I didn't grow up with that particular version of a dish but but we in our family also had a steam um pork cake um that was a dish that my grandma made and it was like a legendary home dish in our family because uh she she would put the um the changgua you know like the pickled cucumbers um in 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 her version um and uh it was a legendary dish because it was like a dish that made you want to eat so much white rice you know because like the sauce (laughs) was so good you know and it would just soak up the sauce and so um it's just funny that that you mentioned that because i think i mentioned this also um that even though that recipe that you have on your block isn't the exact same dish it's like the closest um to that dish that i was able to find sort of on the english language um internet so i've made that dish, but sort of to- played around with it a little bit to try to sort of skew it towards the way that um, people in my family made it. Um, but it's great just to have that document, you know, on the internet that people can find, <laughs> you know, to sort of capture these flavors. Ah, love it. Um, let's go to uh, Vignesh in Oakland. Welcome. 
Thank you. Um, I just ha- I really appreciated this uh, this conversation. Um, a lot of these uh, these questions have been things that I've been I think thinking about a lot lately, especially as my parents are aging. Um, and I think one of the things I've noticed is that the availability of recipes and books so often sort of follow you know restaurant culture and you know generally Western tastes. So like even when you know for for me being Indian American, when you try and find Indian recipes or Indian restaurants, there's such a small slice of what the cuisine actually is. So if I want to get like Indian breakfast food, there aren't like restaurants all over the Bay Area that that serve it. And specifically for my family that's from Kerala, like Kerala cuisine is just incredibly hard to find in the Bay Area and um, as well as across the United States. Um, So I've been trying to like, you know, sit with my mom and dad and learn some of these recipes, but I'm not, I'm of course not a, a, a great cook. I just um, really want, don't want to, you know, lose the, even the memory of that flavor in my mind. And I think the more I rely on, on restaurants or, or sort of like mass produced uh, material to, to disseminate, to, uh, to, to receive this knowledge, the, the more I'm going to kind of dilute that. So I'm just wondering whether other folks have experienced that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you want to take that long sisters? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really, we've heard an interesting through line, which is like, I'm not a good cook, but I really, that flavor and the taste was totally unforgettable. And I think that people don't give themselves enough credit that that's a huge portion of it is like the the memory of what it tasted like and the accuracy of that. And I think that having that is like sort of like a step one And then that just means it's that much easier for you to be able to kind of like suss out and preserve what that was. And I think um, we feel that all the time where it's like, oh, you know, we (laughs) a lot of the early days of the blog is like sort of like feeling in the dark where I was like, I know what this should taste like. um, But, you know, I'm not exactly 100 percent sure how to get there because we all develop our own recipes and there were some things that my, you know, we relatively quickly came up on recipes that my parents didn't exactly know how to make off the top of their head. So hmm. like my, my chili oil, for example, I was like, I know what it should taste like, but I don't exactly know how to get there. And then, you know, through <laughs> sort of learning process, you kind of figure it out. But trial I don't and know. error, trial and error, yeah. trial and error. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you're you're on the right track, like getting in the in the kitchen with your parents. And I think like also becoming a quote unquote good cook is such a long process and it, it doesn't have to be a fast process, but it just, ha- it's like one of diligence. And I think like, that's a lesson that our mom imparted to us of like in, in the kitchen, the most important ingredient is that you just have to care. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even if it gets wrong, like, or goes wrong, like, you can always like you start to learn like little workarounds and ways to like salvage and and then you start to say like oh you know last time I did that and this time I'm going to try something different and I think that's why for a lot of these immigrant parents cooking is so much by feel because that's I think that's what they're used to kind of the nature of the experience yeah right like adjusting on the fly right what's available and also like anyone in the kitchen regardless of what they're cooking that's kind of how it can be a lot of the time yeah 
an example that comes to mind for me, um, just listening to this conversation is um, one of my favorite recipes from my mom is her scallion pancakes, right? That was something that was always a hit every time she made it when I was growing up and even even to this day, right? Um, and it's something that like so many Chinese restaurants serve that now, you know, and it's never the same. It's always so much sort of greasier and more fried, the versions that you find in restaurants. Um, and my mom has like taught me how to make that. Like uh, I've made it with her. I've watched her make it. And I was just never able to quite get it, you know, mm -hmm. from her instructions. Um, and then finally I found a recipe for it, you know, <laughs> and it was like in Bon Appetit. And it was like from someone like me, you know, who is like a second generation Chinese American. Um, but it was like written down in a format that I could get. Um, and even though, um, you know, I, I couldn't recreate my mom's recipe, but I knew what my mom's scallion pancakes tasted like, you know? And so when I made this recipe, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's the taste, you know? And so now I make these, um, and I still add in the things that I learned from watching my mom make it like no recipe I see tells you to like jostle the pan while you're cooking the pancakes. But my mom was always like, you got to jostle the pan. That's how you get it flaky. That's how you get all the different layers. You know, so it's it's just like I think there are ways that you can combine these different generations of knowledge and these different mm -hmm. ways of learning. Um, but but you learn that taste from growing that. up eating it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something beautiful, too, I must say, about a totally lost flavor that you can't recapture because then you can revisit that as like, you know, ah. Oh. There's a poignancy to that thing that you can't just, you know, recreate. Um, last uh, comment. Ra Rochelle writes, my mother is a Filipina immigrant who came to California in her 20s and married my third generation Sicilian American dad. She learned to perfect my Italian grandmother's special Christmas fig cookie and has become the source of these cookies every holiday season to all my aunts, uncles and cousins since my grandma passed 25 years ago. I love it. Carrying on the tradition uh, cross-culturally there. This has been another episode of Forum Series All You Can Eat with KQED's food editor, Luke Sai. We've been talking about family recipes with the beloved blog creators, Caitlin and Sarah Long. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And earlier we talked with Reina Maldonado, owner of Las Carreras Kitchen. We're going out on a Mariah Carey favorite. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Scott Schaefer. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? 
hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.